Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legvold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Staff Sergeant Jelani Olton. Jelani joined the 133rd after spending some time on active duty. Uh, he has a reputation that I've built for him as the toughest guy in logistics. Uh, and today we're going to find out all about him, hear his story. Uh, Jelani, welcome to Beneath the Wing. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Let's start with how you landed here at the 133rd and specifically what drew you in from the active duty. So how'd you get here? Ooh, all right. So uh, basically, uh, I'm a kid from Texas. Um, I started dating a girl out here. She works for Delta. So she's been here about a year longer than I have. So pretty much in a nutshell, uh, with the job with Delta, she's from Iowa, so they kind of put her out here in the hub. And I was a free agent at the time, kind of unhappy where I was at my last duty station. So, unhappy. Unha uh, just unhappy because I've been there too long. Gotcha. I've seen a lot of people go, a lot of changes, and kind of waiting for my time and uh, re-enlistment was coming up. And I didn't want to sign six more years to, you know, stay in the same place for whoever, you know, however long. So I was just kind of tired at the time. So opportunity presented itself. Uh, actually made connections to someone else out here. Um, I actually worked with her sister out uh, in maintenance. So it was just kind of uh, making that connection and then reaching out. Uh, sent them everything, interviewed, sent my resume, and came out here. And here you were. So you joined the Guard from active duty. Yes. And before we started recording here, you said you're a military brat. I am. So if somebody's not even affiliated with the military and they're listening to this and so they hear, I'm a military brat, I'm thinking you're a badly behaved person in the military. But we use that term differently. What's right. a military brat? So military brat in a nutshell, um, being active, my father's active Marine, so basically just kind of just dragging along, being dragged along with him. Um, I was actually born in uh, North Carolina in Jacksonville. Camp Lejeune is the little Marine base that's outside of there. A, Everyone a was little familiar. Marine base. A little there. Marine, yes. Sure. <laughs> um, then from there, I actually moved to Japan. I lived in Okinawa on Camp Foster for about four years. And then after that, uh, moved to California, San Diego for a couple of years. Funneled my way to Texas during the wildfires. I would say it was around like 2002-ish time. And then from Texas, I went back to North Carolina for a couple of years. Then North Carolina, back to Okinawa. Then from Okinawa, I finished the rest of my high school years in Dallas. I lost keeping track of all the places you've lived because I ran out of fingers there. So <laughs> what is that, about nine different places growing up? Growing up, so plugging in and out, making friends on the fly. That's uh that teaches you some skills. It does. But that's a challenge. It is. What did you learn from all of that? I learned to kind of just adapt, be adaptable to where I'm at. So obviously I have close friends growing up. Still talk, I have people I talk to that I've made throughout uh, each place I ever lived. But mainly just kind of just getting a new setting and it forces you to kind of get out there. So it's easy to be left uh, left behind. So I like playing sports. So coming to sports team, you know, you can't really show up and be that kind of quiet guy. So... Yeah, I use a lot of ego here and there, you know, kind of put myself out there, but just kind of just showing like, you know, putting everything out like, hey, I'm here now and, you know, it's rock because I don't know if I'm going to be here for a year or two years, but, you know, make the best of the time that I have. So make an impact wherever you land. Pretty much. And do it quick. Yes, sir. So you're, you're a dive into the pool like a cannonball. Pretty much. That way. So uh, grew up a lot of different places, graduated high school in Texas. I did. Okay. So my school in Texas um, was actually Allen. If you watch football, Kyler Murray was my high school quarterback. He's the quarterback on the Cardinals. And right now they're six and zero. So it's kind of cool to tell us uh, have that story. It's actually I have a few guys on that uh, where I graduated from that are all in the league. It's about twelve of them. So mm -hmm. it's kind of funny seeing all that and watching them play on the big on the big show. So did you play football at Allen? I did. Okay. Position? Um, I was a receiver and a safety, right. but wrestling was my main sport. Oh. Um, was there wrestling available in all the Department of Defense? Because I assume you went, you were a lot of overseas places. I was. And for folks that don't know this, when you're in an overseas base, uh, you're there with the military, your kids go to schools that are run by the Department of Defense, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. 
So you went to all those different schools um, through the DOD. Sports programs good? Um, they were interesting. So a good experience, I would say. Uh, interesting is a term we use in Minnesota when something's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, actually, I, I mean it in a good way. Okay. Uh, so when I uh, competed in uh, Japan, so Okinawa uh, was what I did some of middle school and just a little bit of high school. So we would actually would take trips. So as a team, there was like uh, two schools and then they had a couple off Christian schools. So we would play them for like football and then for like playoffs, we would go to Korea. And then in Korea, we would have teams from mainland come, we'll have kids from Singapore come, Guam. So it's kind of like a Pacific, kind of like all those kids come from there. So it was pretty interesting. You know, you get to travel, get on a plane. Yeah. Um, one of the years I had played basketball, we had a tournament in Hong Kong. I mean, not too many people could say they went to Hong Kong and right. played. So. It's just a different kind of experience. You get to travel, you kind of feel like a pro, semi-pro athlete in high school. So That is fantastic. Again, you learn how to make a big splash real quick. For sure. Awesome. Um, what was the biggest difference between a Department of Defense school and a high school, like a big high school like Allen, Texas? Well, it was one, um, I would say Department of Defense, you don't have too many kids. Like the senior class would be like 100 kids. Uh, when I went to Allen, it was my, so we were sophomore through senior, and my graduating class alone was 1,300. I remember sitting in our stadium, because we had a big $60 million football stadium. It was like all over the news. <laughs> um, and for graduation, I just remember falling asleep halfway through it <laughs> and waking up, and they didn't even get to the O's yet. So oh my just so many people, you, unless you really played sports, you see, it's like seeing new people every day walking down the hallway. That's a lot, a lot of strangers to graduate high school with. A little harder to make an impact, I'd say. So you finished high school in Allen, Texas. Your dad's still in the Marine Corps? No, he retired uh, back in 2012. He did 21 years. Okay. And so he decided to, the last place you guys are going to live is Allen, Texas. Correct. Family's still there? They are. Awesome. Okay. Uh, what, I'm just picturing roles that fathers have with their children in their development and how much... The Marine Corps is a part of a person that joins the Marines. You told your dad, I'm joining an active duty Air Force at some point. He wouldn't, uh, he directed me away from the Marine Corps as much as possible. Um, nothing wrong with it. Um, it was just kind of one of those things. Uh, growing up, I remember him being gone a lot. So I have two brothers as well. So I just remember kind of like being harder on my mom and, you know, three boys, just my mom. We kind of gave her a hard time growing up. But um, besides that, I mean, he's he depl deployments are long, so he would he was always gone for like a year. So he had times where I was a freshman, I didn't see him until you know uh, summer of my sophomore year in high school, and by then you know we hit a growth spurt and stuff. So a lot of part of life, you know, he couldn't be a part of, and they didn't have like Skype was brand new back then, so it wasn't like the technology we have today. So mm -hmm. um, I just remember that kind of being a difficult, and he would kind of steer my way, and then also. Um, he, he tells me, and I don't mean any offense by this at all, but he was like, you are like smarter than me, like to me. So he, he'd say to pick a branch that will take my education to the next level. And um, I chose not to use his GI Bill, go to college. I kind of wanted to do my own thing. And so he kind of directed me to kind of go to a branch that will use your education first. So Okay. A lot of people from our wing listen to the podcast and they understand what it's like to join the guard. Right. Pick your job, go to basic training know the people before you leave right. and then know the people when you come back uh, and you're starting to see that as a as an NCO your your new troops are coming in with that experience For sure what was the experience like joining active duty um, first experience um, I would say I, I took it pretty well because I'm, I'm so used to, like I said, being plugged in and kind of put in places. So for me, it was just more people to kind of hear the stories. So I had my stories with them and then kind of meet people from different places. And um, it's kind of funny. I'm, I met like mutual friends and people that knew me before I knew them, that kind of thing. So meeting family members in the service. So it was pretty cool, I would say. The culture, it didn't affect me as bad because, like I said, I'm pretty used to it. Did you know your job when you joined the Air Force? I did. I actually uh, picked supply. Okay. Um, logistics was one of those things that just spoke to me. Something I looked at, um, can plug in as a supply troop and kind of just do anything. So if I get done with here, I know that, you know, every company has supplies. So I know that at least like for job wise, I would always be marketable, for but sure. I like it. I speak the language. So. Does this like still call to you today? It does. You're full time out here with us, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, you're, uh, you spoke a little bit about your education. You didn't want to go to college on the GI Bill. Uh, 
where are you at now with so, developing yourself? Right now, um, I have about 65 credits. I'm working on my bachelor's right now. I'm just in the process of trying to rebound and pick a school right now. I've been looking at Metro State, and I've been going to a private Catholic school right now in uh, St. Leo. So both have really good logistic programs, but I think I'm probably going to lean over to Metro. You're going to stick with your calling and, and stay with logistics? Oh, yes. I think 100%. we're noticing that there's a big call for that nationwide. <laughs> well, globally, actually. I see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of struggle. Do you know what, what's going to fix it? People like myself, I like to say. There you go. <laughs> it's a great attitude. Yes, you, I believe, are going to fix it. Old people like me, probably not going to fix it. So I, uh, I introduced you as probably the toughest guy in logistics. Uh, and I, I learned that you are a mixed martial arts competitor. Correct. How many bouts have you had? Is that the right term, bouts? Um, correct. So um, official, so I, I used to compete and did a lot of uh, kickboxing matches here and there and a lot of uh, jiu-jitsu tournaments. But I would say my first official bout actually just took place uh, June 28th out in Walker, Minnesota. Um, it was about two minutes, fights on YouTube, if anyone wants to check it out. Uh, promotion's called uh, North Star Combat. They changed the throne. If you look up my name, you'll see my uh, bout on there. Um it was fun. It was. Uh, it felt comfortable uh, leading up to it and walking out. It just felt like I always belonged to do something like this. My whole life, I've always trained. I wrestled most of my life, and just getting into mixed martial arts is just kind of like playing any other sport. Are you planning on continuing your competitions? I am. Okay. You got another one coming up? I do. I'm looking for December 18th again in Walker. All right. Uh, my first match I did, I competed at 185 pounds, but I'm trying to make a cut to 170. Oh, that's... That's some weight to lose. It is. And you're not a small guy. I'm not. <laughs> uh-huh. So explain to me this. So wrestling, I kind of understand. Uh, when you're getting ready for a wrestling match, you're like losing weight. I remember these people that were mm -hmm. running around in sweatshirts and, you know, never would drink water. They spit in the spit on the floor. Right. Uh, all the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, is it the same kind of weird stuff? Um, not as much. Uh, especially with technology. Eating, I'd say, is the biggest part. Um, kind of having a diet. I've been, I'm actually, I'd say um, pretty good at knowing what works for my body and what doesn't. Most of it's just kind of like a water. So we do have like saunas where uh, your head kind of pops up. So like just a little trip in there for about 25 minutes. Like I could sit in my living room, watch a movie. Um, about 30 minutes in, 10 pounds just fell off my body, just water. So wow. I'm not, I don't have to do anything kind of crazy and strenuous. But the main part is really the diet. It's just keep kind of keeping that. Just making sure how much, keeping track of how many calories and, you know, carbs and stuff like that that I'm putting in my body. It's a lot of extra work. It is. Yeah. Uh, what's your training regimen, your physical stuff? So my physical stuff, I've, uh, throughout the week, Mondays, uh, I grapple. So like a catch wrestling, submission wrestling base. Tuesdays, I uh, box and then I, I'll kickbox as well afterwards. Uh, Wednesdays, back to grappling, like trying to train like uh, cage for like maneuvering off the cage. Thursdays, uh, more focus on kickboxing. And then Fridays, a full boxing day. And then Saturdays, kind of a spar, mix it all up kind of day and then rest Sunday and getting back to it. That is, that's pretty aggressive. Where do you find the time? That's the thing. Making it um, after work, trying to make that schedule. So it's, it's pretty hectic at the moment, but just kind of just toughen it up and just doing it. Takes up a lot of evenings, I'm oh, sure. Oh, it does. I'm sure. Okay, so I've been sheltered my entire life. Can you describe to me what it's like to get hit in the face? So I'd say there's one or two things that happen. Uh, my experience of getting hit in the face, it kind of is a funny. Like a, it, it, for me, it's, it, it's rewarding. Like it, it's a humbling uh, feel. Because no matter what attitude, like, you know, whatever's going on in your day, just getting that kind of punch in kind of just resets everything. And it just makes it seem like, hey, like, this guy doesn't care who I am. You know, he doesn't care anything about me. It's just, you know, he's just here to compete. And kind of having that mentality, I would say mindset, just kind of, it just, it just has a good feel. Like, you know, we're here for the same thing kind of thing. Like, it puts uh, everything aside and just kind of, you know, we're here working on something. Mm -hmm. So, um, besides I would say getting that punch in the face, it, it doesn't feel good, I would, I'm not going to lie to you, but it just makes you get smarter, you know, like playing like human chess. How can I defend it or how can I deflect it or, you know, not get as punch, punch in the face as much, so. Okay. 
So stick with the chess analogy. Do you play? Not like not as much as I would like to. Okay, but you, you're familiar with familiar. the game, and and if you're going to go through a, a a bout with somebody, or you're going to spar, I mean, you start getting your head in the right space, mm-hmm. and then part of that is you've studied your opponent, you understand what they're about and mm-hmm. their their moves. What? How do you determine what your opening move is? So um, a lot of it, how I do it is. I kind of look and see how you're standing. It's like quick calculations on the fly, but I like to look and see how you're moving. So like a good example would be if a guy comes out southpaw, which means uh, he's left-handed, so his left hand is back, and I'm an orthodox fighter, so I use my right. If you're coming out, my mind already registers that I need to throw kind of straight or kind of clean him up with left hooks to kind of get that guy out of there. So it's just kind of quick calculations on the go. And then obviously keeping my emotions at bay. So if he does something, you know, it hits me or whatnot, not to get overwhelmed, uh, just kind of keeping cool and then just kind of just figuring out like that. But I, I'll do things, you know, kind of bait him, throw a couple punches, see his tendencies, how he moves, how he leans, but just like on the fly calculations. The whole bout you're making these on the fly calculations. I, I, I assume having gone through some combative training when I was in security forces, I'm exhausted, physically exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, during our weapons retention drills, right, uh, where you're you're grappling, you're on the floor with somebody, and your your job is to get away from them and you know mm-hmm. draw your weapon and get them to submit quickly using you know that. What's more tired at the end of a spar or about? Is it your body or is it your mind? I would say my body. My mind will tell me to stay there all night if if I could. If I could wake up again and do it all day, I would. But I would say just the body aspect. Um, it's just so much up and down from the grappling to the, the striking. So lactic acid builds pretty quick. But I, mentally, it's just fun. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, it's just so much fun. And then the people you get to meet uh, through the process as well. So um, just a little uh, for the gym that I trained at, if you guys are familiar with Brock Lesnar, it was his old gym. So every once in a while, he comes in there. I seen Gable Stevenson, the uh, guy who won gold out of Minnesota. Mm. I see him walk through there. So I just get to see and meet a lot of people. And it's just, you know, a nice environment. They're all really nice people too. So is has this been something that you have learned more about your character? Uh, I'm sorry. Can you can you explain the character building experience that your MMA training has given you? Oh yeah. Um, character building I would say is um, the most part is the humbling. Um, a lot of times, uh, I kind of growing up, I kind of had like, an, I would say kind of like this ego about myself, like my way or not, but in there, you know, uh, you have a guy a little bit bigger kind of holding you down. He's punching you in your face. You know, he's not going to stop just cause you, you know, you want him to, or, you know, he's not going to, you know, bend to your will. So it is what it is. So I'd say for the most part, it's, it kind of has a humbling and more respect for people. I would never underestimate people, you know, treat everyone that way. It's just kind of, it brings that mental. I, I, I know it's kind of weird, but it just does that in a way of like, I see life as differently, like as peace, like I'm at peace. I'm confident with myself. Like no one can really make you mad, that kind of thing. And I would only do the things I would, obviously, if I have to, in life or death situations. But as far as that, I just feel peace and happiness. Can you translate that now as a as an NCO, uh, non-commissioned officer, who's responsible for human beings? Right. And sometimes human beings do things that we're just not expecting. And mm-hmm. right or wrong, you get to make some judgment calls and help correct them and lead them and guide them. Um, how has that translated into leading other people and what can you tell people that are you know at a different level of leadership big organizations and stuff what lesson would you pass on to them that you've learned biggest lesson is i'd say is taking that time and really getting to know your people um regardless of kind of whatever presumptions you have about them or how you feel it's just really getting to know um when you kind of get to know people and figure out what your ticks it's really you know you'd be really surprised of what kind of common ground you find what one another from all walks of life of any background. I think that's really the most important part. I mean, I got friends, you know, that, um, that come from all, you know, different types of life. You know, some people who fought across the world, some people who came to America, you know, to fight. So just getting kind of that experience and building, I like to translate that of just getting to know, you know, getting to know people, see what makes them tick, um, see what, you know, what they like, kind of just get involved with their chances. So I know to provide the best kind of care I can for them and what kind of support I can give them to getting to know them first. So 
kind of taking the stripe off, kind of peeling that back and actually get to know them as a person. Did you have that experience in active duty? Um, certain, ex I had ex uh, certain ones. I had ones that didn't try to get and I, mental note in my head was, you know, kind of take some traits from them that I would do and traits that I don't want to. But uh, the best I'd seen was leaders who got to uh, know their troops and get involved. I've seen a better outcome. And then it's more of like a family. You know, you can depend on the people. They're more reluctant to do something, you know, to mess you guys up or anything like that. And then you can kind of gauge on how you can go about it person. Because, yeah. you know, you can't kind of, I know the golden rule where they say treat people how you want to be treated, but I kind of think of it as treat people as if, like, as their family would respect. And kind of going that way instead of, because I could be treated one way, but it may not be good for you. And I kind of just give everyone the respect and treat, you know, get to know them for who they are. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've, I've really loved about working out here since, well, a very, very long time uh, is that sense of family that we have out here. I mean, the people that I've been working he with here, I've known for 20 years. Wow. We don't just PCS. We don't ch permanent change the station. We don't just move around as much as you did growing up. For sure. We have to develop those relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've seen has been one of the great things about being in the guard. Did you pick up that vibe right away when you got here? I did. Uh, Minnesota nice is a real thing. <laughs> uh, coming from some of the places I can't uh, come from, a lot of people, especially the East Coast, can come off a little mean spirited. So it's just nice, refreshing that I feel the gen like how people are really genuine here and the support, anything that I need and direction they um, can point me in, especially from my experience with my own team and my leadership, none but support from day one. If I need anything from them, I can depend on them and same as they can depend on me. But it's just been great. The support system here is it's just it's just really nice to know that and to feel that. Something I haven't experienced before is very new to me. And you picked up, left your family. I did. Moved here for for a gal. Mm -hmm. uh, and you showed up to a world full of strangers. I did. And the program that you use to get from active duty to the guard, it's there's two different programs. There's the Palace Chase, Palace Front. Front. One, you're kind of running away from the active duty in the middle of your term. Mm -hmm. That's Palace Chase. That's... One, you're leaving at the end of your term. Which one was it for you? I Palace Chase. So you ran away from the active duty. I did. Um, I had about about a year left, yeah. and I cut it short for that experience. Um, I was actually kind of... I don't... so. Take this for what it is. I was actually slated to go on another deployment. Um, I've already been on two, and it was going to hit me on three after I got back. Um, no problem with deployments. I love deployments and experience. But as far as my situation at my own base, I couldn't take. I what it came at an inconvenient time. I couldn't do the things that I needed to, that were necessary. So um, kind of that's the only I would say downside to it is that I you can't really prepare as much. It's a lot of drop and kind of go, which is I, I get that. That's what we signed up for. But if I can have a little control of my life, I would like to kind of go somewhere and kind of have the preparation and then um, get into like buying, like start acquiring assets and buying stuff like that. Because people lie, they say like you could just buy a house and just go move somewhere every two years. Like it's not really feasible to keep trying to go through that process of selling and buying. So I just want to kind of get some stability in my life, sure. some kind of control that I can get, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and the guard gave you some stability. For sure. A little bit of control. Mm -hmm. um, we, we still do deployments in the guard. Right, right. Uh, but a little bit a little bit different cycle, right? I can prepare for them a lot better. For sure. Yeah, well, we, we know years in advance and we don't just show up mm -hmm. from a permanent change of station and suddenly you're in the deployment cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have that advantage in that. Have you maintain correspondence with folks from active duty all the time you tell um, them how great the guard is i do <laughs> and they always some are actually um so i actually have a buddy that uh that actually kind of came from the same place uh he actually works downstairs uh from this building but um same kind of deal talked about it and it's like no i don't believe you man and kind of came out here got to see the world and you know he was he was hooked yeah. and also you know i i like it because you could, um, instead of people getting burnt out, because, you know, actually you can do that to you. It's like, you know, you can get good people, especially that want to work, that have that drive. And then, you know, we could come to places like this and, you know, just really thrive and do what we need to do. So yeah, that's also a good benefit of it. You, I've, uh, The appreciation for the works, I would say, is the best thing. Yeah. So. It's really good to hear.
uh, I, I don't get a chance to get down to uh, the warehouse down to LRS as much as I would love to, but we just got done meeting um, with all the primary leaders for the, our organization and you know that that sense of hey we just got done with a very busy weekend and actually saying the words of how much we appreciate the work both the work of being in the military but also the work of taking care of the people right and how that's recognized it was said out loud today in that meeting um, I'm glad that you feel that where you work it, I think that's great um, so picked up, left Texas, came here. You've been here about a year. Um, what are your big goals? Okay, so um, my big goals, uh, for sure, I want to receive my bachelor's in supply chain. Um, school's kind of been my big thing. My father actually went back a few years ago um, after his Marine, and he actually got his uh, bachelor's, but he does software engineering. Um, so... I wanted to be the first person in my family to do it, but he got a little jump on me, so he he has that. But just kind of just doing that, uh, getting my bachelor's is another one, and kind of just kind of staying healthy, I would say, and seeing kind of how my MMA stuff plays out. Um, a lot of people think that if I if something comes of it, that I would leave, but I have no reason to ever uproot and want to leave. Like if I can do both and live a happy life, like I would do that until I can retire. So um, just kind of putting that out there first, but that's kind of just seeing, you know, just what what to come of it. Mm -hmm. See if I can make anything out of it. You're you're. Are you done with your associates? I am. Okay. Community College of the Air Force is a great gig. It is. Marines don't have that, do they? They don't. It's a totally different program for mm -hmm. them, which we're pretty we're pretty fortunate to have that. Um, so on top of all of this, one of the things I learned about you, you just got a dog. I did. What kind? So she's a golden doodle. Okay, so golden retriever mixed with a poodle. Correct. You do not look like a poodle owner. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was like picturing Great Dane or something, you know, huge and tough. See, I was, and then I was when I saw the golden doodle's face. It's you just can't say no to it. It's so cute. So I had golden retrievers my entire life growing up okay yeah there's something about the face i totally get that so how is that raising a puppy Ooh, right now she's a piece of work she's 10 weeks so i'm just getting her broken down to kennel training potty training kind of regiment but she's she's taken to it really smart that's one thing i'll tell you about that breed they're really smart dogs yeah she catches on to, but took like only a week to like leash train her she kind of makes noise and whines if she has to go out so Besides that, she's in biting stage, but I mean that that's all puppies, so Yeah. Hopefully you can train that out of her. I know. Some people just don't work on that as much as they no, are. I, I want that. I don't want her biting my company's hands. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. Um Raising a dog, leading people, getting your education, working on your MMA stuff. Uh you're a busy guy. Yeah. And on top of that, you're fitting into the community, and Minnesota's a great place, you're right. Minnesota nice is a thing. What, what's the biggest difference that you've seen living in Minnesota? You've been through one winter, and it wasn't even a hard winter. I heard. Uh-huh. <laughs> what's, what's the biggest difference between all the places, like Okinawa and Texas and all the, all the different places? What's the, what's the one thing that you'd say, hey, Minnesota is this? So one thing I would say is... You guys have the best summers I've ever been ever seen. As far as all the green and all the lakes is beautiful. This is like a paradise for like summers. Um, Texas, you get, it's just too hot. Uh, I remember playing those days playing football, and I just remember seeing like black dots like I'm standing on the line for like drills, and I just remember just being hot, smothered all the time to where you're like you know you don't even want to be out there. Um, even Okinawa is super humid. Uh, you take a shower, come outside, you're soaking wet again. Place and it, and it, uh, in the winter time it drops maybe to like seventy for like a month and then gets back to like eighty plus every day. Uh, Minnesota's great weather. Uh, cold, it's gonna take some getting used to. But I mean, besides that, I think you guys have to, or I think here has the best. It has the best summers by far. It makes up for the however long, like the three four months we have a summer. It makes up for the. I believe the harsh cold winters. So I, I think I would agree with you. Our summers are fantastic out here. Fall, which we're in right now as we're recording, is probably one of the most beautiful times of year for me. 
my wife would argue and she'd say spring is great uh, but I sure I sure do love the falls but I like fall too yeah. fall is really nice here it's a good time to be here mm -hmm. the problem is everybody in Minnesota knows fall means winter <laughs> is coming hey I'm going to introduce you again I've been speaking with Staff Sergeant Jelani Olton from our logistics sec section a uh, man who was called to that section and we're going to take a little bit of a break and be right back stick around Palace Chase Program, have you ever heard of it? Palace Front Program, have you ever heard of it? Sergeant Todd here with the 133rd Recruiting Office. If you're on active duty and you're looking for a way out, but you still want to serve in the beautiful United States Air Force, Palace Chase Program, Palace Front Program may be for you. If you've served at least half of your contract, and you're looking for a new home, possibly looking for a new career field, please call me, 612 505 6799. Again, 612-505-6799. We can hook you up with a beautiful position in the Minnesota Air National Guard. I've been talking with Jelani Olton here on Beneath the Wing, and welcome to session two. I uh, hope you enjoyed a little bit of break. In fact, we got so lost in conversation, it's already been, uh, you know, we, we should have been recording everything that we were talking about, but uh, it's all good fun. So we, uh, I learned a little bit more about you. You spent some time in South Carolina, or I'm sorry, North Carolina with the Marines, Camp Lejeune area, right? Um, and one of the things that we've talked about is, is struggles that people have had either in their lives or in their communities and the atmosphere of what it was like there. Um, do you want to go into that a little bit? Um, sure. Uh, so uh, my time, my uh, experience there, for about five and a half years before I came over. It was interesting. Um, me being a military brat, the, um, used to kind of just the diversity. So uh, I remember having friends of, you know, all kinds of ways of life, all colors and everything like that. I would say uh, going back there kind of just really opened my eyes, kind of felt like taking a time machine back. Just, you know, kind of surprised that certain parts of the world are still like that. I mean, on base was a great, uh, a great community of people. It's just off base, um, kind of having the attitude I have, you know, that want to meet people and network. It's just hard out there. Uh, people are separate. You don't really fit in with any kind of group out there. And that just goes for any military person. I mean, unless you're just kind of like really like that low country lifestyle, that's the only way you kind of blend. But for the most part, it's just, kinda, just a lot of trouble. There wasn't a lot of opportunity out there, too. So I kind of understand the way of living. Mm -hmm. um, if it wasn't for us, I mean, they only built like businesses for us, like a Buffalo Wild Wings came to that city and then a Walmart. And other than that, like uh, Checkers, a Chick-fil-A, and then they don't have anything else. Us being the military. The military, yeah, yeah providing okay. that for okay. us members. So, I mean, there's a lot of, I, I'd say I've seen a lot of poverty being out there. See people like strung out on the streets, that kind of stuff. So just an eye opener. And then being there for like five years kind of just made me like realize and take everything in of, how important is, you know, like I said, the humbling and wanting to, to help people because it's just, you know, when you see it leaving base every day, it just kind of doesn't do anything, but it just, you know, kind of makes you remember where I came from mm -hmm. and always want to keep that kind of attitude. So. Yeah, yeah. We've had, a, we've had a difficult year, difficult couple of years here when it comes to racial, race relations in the country and all the big systems that are in place to make sure that um, everybody is allowed to thrive, everybody's allowed to succeed, and we're not getting it right all the time. Right. Everybody's treated with dignity and respect. We're not getting it right all the time. Um, but you had an experience as a military brat mm -hmm. uh, that taught you some lessons about how to get along with diverse groups. For sure. Uh, what's the key? What are we missing? What do we need to do differently? Um, I'd say the best way is just listening. Um, I know that sounds weird, but just kind of come in and kind of spring those questions, asking, you know, the, hey, how are you? And then kind of just listening, you know. Um, really, it's just kind of just um, not having that shell up, just going to meet people. Because, you'd be, like I said, you'd be surprised. Uh, to this day, I have a really good friend, uh, speaks Japanese. I, um, we're like pen pals. We send stuff to each other uh, still to this day. Like, I'll send him some clothes or some shoes that he can't get over there. And then he'll send me some Japanese candy or whatever I can't get 
And it's just like having that relationship, you know. And I just thought about how the relationship started was, you know, he didn't speak speak um, any English. And we have, I have a basketball and he sees a basketball and plays basketball. And we kind of just built a friendship off that. So just doing stuff like that, you know, just getting out to meet people. I'd say the biggest regret is to not talk to somebody because of the way they look or the way they sound. You'll be so amazed of what people are capable of. So You spoke a little bit about how that communication and the speaking and the listening, and I, I agree with you. The relationship is what matters. Mm -hmm. But um, outside of Camp Lejeune in the community, you said that the different races didn't necessarily mix on purpose. On purpose. What brings them together? What brings us together um, as a big system? How do we get to the point where, hey, I'm willing to talk, but you're not willing to listen just because there's been this this barrier, this divide for generations and generations. Oh, that's a very that's a really good question. Um, I'd say before uh, I'd answer that. I, so my assumption to what that and why they didn't mix, um, I would say information about things. So a good example to be like um, if I went to a bar and I see a group of um, of black guys, they're sitting over there hanging out. Most of the time, you know, they're doing their own thing, they're talking, and then I see a group of white guys in another corner, you know, they're hanging out, doing whatever. I'd say the difference is, you know, there's tension. Someone might walk in with Confederate flag tattoos and stuff like that. Now, for me, I care less if that's what you want to do with your body. It's all about, for me, the person. If you're nice to me, I have no reason. I don't care what's on your face or what's on your body, you know. I may not agree with it, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, your treatment. But that kind of already has people at tensions and they already kind of like standoffish at it. So then, you know, they're looking at them. They're, you know, you're like, why he's looking at us? And I figured that that's just an all automatic ignorance. It's just an ego thing rather than just coming in and saying, hey, have a good time. You guys, you know, what are you doing? But I get people not like that. Um, oh, sorry. I'm going away from the question. No, you're doing just fine. Uh, I would say just kind of just whatever, not judging a book by its cover, just kind of letting it go why have presumptions i'd say um until someone gives you a reason to why treat someone a certain way you mm -hmm. know just why not be respectful to everyone yeah until you do something to me and treat me this way i have no reason to ever want to look at you some kind of way i mean if you have your pants to the ground i may judge you but that's in my head i still you know will help you what you need but sure teach his own you know with everything so it's a, it's that trying to get people to wear uh everybody is open like you are right. to developing a good relationship and good rapport and judging people that have i believe you have the very best of intentions right um until you prove me otherwise until you prove it yeah right. that's hard to get to sometimes that just takes a lot of a lot of people have to just i'd say confidence and brave obviously not to always bring people in but just kind of not always have your guard you know sometimes it's good to have it some of the best conference obviously some of my experience i've had was um, talking to old Vietnam guy. I remember um, waiting in line in the store. I see an um, elderly guy staring at me. And I just smiled at him and say, hey. As soon as I did that, oh man, conversation just sparked like wildfire. Hey, Sonny, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we get into a conversation, but tells the greatest, you know, some of the greatest story. Don't know if he took it from a movie, but, you know, just great conversation, just meeting. And it all just was because I just kind of gave him an acknowledgement, mm -hmm. you know. He was staring at me. I didn't look at him some kind of way or say anything negative. Just kind of smiled back. Were you in uniform at the time? Um, I was okay. in uniform. Um, and other times, um, even when I'm not, some people say it's for the haircuts. I guess um, yeah. getting the military haircuts, they can kind of just, they said they can tell it about you, um, the way you walk. But like like I said, some of the best conversations I ever had was just with strangers, whether it's in the airport or I'm waiting for like the, the lighting rail uh, the, to come, just sitting there just chatting. Yeah. It's, just, it's a funny thing about the the shared experience we've all gone through, but a basic training, right? Not everybody's gone through the same basic training your dad did, right? Uh, ours is a little bit more comfortable, I would say. Uh, <laughs> sure. But everybody's gone through that, mm -hmm. you know, experience of getting your head shaved and getting yelled at mm -hmm. and going through all that difficult time and being thrown into this big pot of the military where we all have to go through that shared experience. And now, we all, regardless of our upbringing or our background, mm -hmm. we all have something that is similar and the same. Giving somebody really? that opportunity, an old Vietnam vet in the store, mm -hmm. uh, giving them that opportunity to share that. Um, Probably made his day, highlight of his day, and like I said, just appreciate the conversation. I'm sure he walked away from saying, taught that guy a thing or two <laughs> right. about how easy he's got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you, uh, thanks for going into that a little bit. I. 
um, in the military, we, we've gone through uh, some um, extremism awareness and a, a lot of diversity and inclusion initiatives, and all of it is, I think, is good for us. But my question, um, are we getting it right? Um, I think for the most part, it's just kind of hard to kind of to say, because I could say for myself that maybe I won't, I disagree with it. I do like that they are trying. Um, I think it's just coming down for the members uh, of us, like I said, just kind of as a force of us just kind of doing it as a regular, instead of being told to kind of implement it, you know, seeing how people are treating, you know, getting to know it. Um, from my experience, do I think it's a problem? I don't see it firsthand, but um, as far as interact, I don't see anyone left out. I see everyone pretty much included. I mean, everyone here so far, it's none but respect. Um, from my experience, uh, can't speak for everyone else, but I think um, their intentions is in the right direction. But I think it's just going to, you know, just take some time, mm -hmm. like everything else. So I mean, something new, something that it's it's interesting thinking about that we're doing stuff like this still, and it's like the year twenty twenty one. So yes. that's what's just kind of weird about it. But so if I hear you right, we're not necessarily getting it right, but we are continuing to try, and that is better. I would say so, okay. yes. All right. You have such a good advantage in that your perspective has been shaped by eight different places growing up, all military, and so you've been able to see it all the way from kid to now a non-commissioned officer and, and as a leader. Um, right. So you, uh, you, bring a lot to the, you bring a lot to the plate, and you have an important voice. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so let's um, let's talk a little bit about your you grew where you grew up. I'm disappointed, actually, Jelani, and you that you took away a lot of my research. I have these questions that I I <laughs> drum up before a podcast, thinking I'm going to be smart and I'm going to have something that this guy didn't know. Okay, so you mentioned you grew up in Allen, Texas. The football stadium there is huge. Is. You said sixty million dollars to build. I seriously had that written down. In fact, it was oh. <laughs> it was built in twenty twelve. Right. Um, you've been to the football stadiums around Minnesota, Wisconsin area. I have. Yeah, pathetic, right? They're cute, you know. They look good. I'd see if I was a young pop wonder kid, I'd love to play on a field. Like yeah, <laughs> but a sixty million dollar stadium in in uh, in Texas. West Texas football is the duh thing, and it's, it's you were religion. able to yeah, you were able to play for a team like that. Uh, it holds eighteen thousand people, hence the long graduation right. in the Texas sun. I'm sure. Oh, beautiful! But if you had sixty million dollars, what are the what are the things you'd spend it on to help people? Um, if I had sixty million dollars. Uh, first and foremost, I would want to make sure uh, my immediate family is taken care of. So obviously my mom and dad, if they can never work a day again in their life, I would love that to happen. Um, as far as my brothers, um, I would like to give them some money, but not really for money to play, but money they could invest it in to kind of do things. Um, a lot of my friends, I would try to connect with them and kind of get businesses and start business for them. They kind of always bring in some kind of residual. Um, and really just taking that time of uh, building up the communities. So wherever I'm at or maybe go somewhere that's not as developed and taking that time to put things in. Um, a big thing that I grew up and I will never forget to this day, uh, when I was younger, most of my friends that I've met was always at the youth center. And for people who don't know that, uh, being a dot kid, wherever you go, like if they put you over bases overseas, they always have a youth center. And they would have certain times, you know, depending on what age group of kids. But at that youth center, you know, it was a perfect place. To, um, we could play basketball. You know, we had pool tables, air hockey. And I remember playing video games. And I just remember after school, um, if you weren't doing your sport or after sports, like that was the place to go to. And just the relations of having that and, you know, um, you know, just kind of being involved and getting to meet kids and people. I that was an important thing I, I feel like in my life and I would love to give that back to build community centers and pools and stuff like that if I could. If I had $60 million, that's what I would do. Invest it in the community. Not a, not a football stadium in Wisconsin? 
Um, if we generate more, if that sixty million gets doubled and tripled, then yes, <laughs> and that could be the talk of the town. I'd be fine with that as well. You're you're what we you're, uh, we were talking in the break about you live in Wisconsin now. Um, we might get you to migrate to the right side of the river here eventually, <laughs> but uh, okay. So yeah, maybe put a little bit into the hometown football team, but like where you're going with the youth centers. Um, and you had a great experience growing up because you're right. They they put those centers in. You know, wherever there's a Department of Defense school, there's a youth center there. So much developmentorship, all that stuff pays dividends. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so you were born on the 4th of July. Correct. And one of the people that you share a birthday with, very culturally important person to um, American culture, um, media culture, probably I would go as far as saying maybe an icon mm. that you share a birthday with. Definitely part of the most under underrated reality show ever. So from the Jersey Shore, Mike the Situation Sorrentino <laughs> shares the same birthday. And uh, equally impressive physique, I'm sure. So big question for you, Jelani Olton. If you needed to put something between your name so that you could be introduced, like Mike, the situation, what word would describe you that you would put on there? And maybe this is going to stick, and now this is going to be your new MMA fight moniker. That's funny. That's funny you say this because I literally was spending the past couple of weeks of actually kind of come up with a name. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to make a name for myself. I want to see what's out there. Now you're going to say it on a podcast, and guess what? And now it's going to stick. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> Big pressure. No pressure. Um, so the name, if I could pick a name, um, this is funny. So uh, growing up, I was a big wrestling fan. I used to love WWE. I think that's probably why I do the things I do now. But one of my favorite wrestlers of all time was Eddie Guerrero. And he would have this thing. He would call himself Latino Heat. And if I could stick that, I would take his moniker. Um, so for people who don't know, uh, my family actually came here. Uh, so I'd be considered first generation American. My family was actually from Panama and they migrated from Panama. My grandfather had joined the army to get citizenship and he came over. Then my father was a Marine. So if I could take that moniker of Latino heat still from Eddie Guerrero, I would like to take that and make it for myself. He might have, he might take umbrance with you. So. you might have to settle that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but that'd be the name if I could take it. I think that's an awesome name. Thank you. I can't think of too much more that you share with the situation, but <laughs> still. Okay, um, let's play some quick fire questions. You ready to go? Ready. You ready? See, the good thing about Jelani coming in here, he's actually listened to the podcast, so he knows the rules. <laughs> he's not going to overanalyze or take too much time, right? Correct. Okay, what's your go-to song on karaoke night? My go-to song would be Walk a Thousand Miles. I forget who sings it, but if I could walk, for some reason after a few shots of Jameson, it's the best song in the world to me. You're not going to throw me. It's going to come to me. If you could eat only one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Burgers. I'd eat burgers all day. Two of your pet peeves. My pet peeves is I'm not a big fan of negativity and dry sarcasm. I could be sarcastic all day, but if I can't tell if you're sarcastic or not, that will bother me because I won't know if you're joking. Oh, glad we don't hang out too much. I'd bother you. <laughs> <laughs> Movie that makes you cry. Um, don't have one. Do you cry? I have emotions, but not often, no. Okay. Worst Halloween candy. If you give me a Tootsie Roll, we won't be friends. Tootie Fruity would be okay, but Tootsie Roll, we won't be friends. Okay, sticking with Halloween, what's the thing that scares you the most? What scares me the most? Hmm. I don't have I I don't care for Halloween as a holiday, but I'm a big scary movie fanatic. So there's I love them. Like to me, it's kind of funny. I love watching it. But I, I, let's go with clowns. If I seen a clown like somewhere just standing off, no no kids or anything, that'd probably freak me out. Right on. I'm with you. I do not like the clowns. All right. Uh, so you've been in for five years now. Your brother is in active duty. Uh, we were speaking a little bit about him uh, during the break. Uh, 
and you've been telling him how awesome the guard is, uh, what do you use to describe the guard that makes it a, a great place to be? What I would say is um, a great word I would describe this place. For me, it's I'd call it a family. It feels like one working family unit from anywhere I can go on this pace or any unit squadron. Everyone's so nice, so caring, and never had issue with anyone. So it's like a big family here. Great. Get your brother over here. I'm trying. He's going to listen to this podcast and going to go, oh, now, <laughs> now I kind of have to go. Right? Better not let my supervisor hear this. Uh, <laughs> you've actually thrown me. i got to admit it because now the name of the band is going to stick with me, and I'm I'm going to be spun up the rest of the day. That's, that's too bad. That's too bad. Um, so, we, again, one of the places that you used to, that you love to hang out, you described yourself kind of as a beach bum. And now you're leaving here and living here in Minnesota where the summers are awesome. Correct. Uh, you and I have both been to Folly Beach, South Carolina, probably the best beach, beach. to hang out at. I agree. At, because the water's warm. It, the surf is great. Uh, the, it's kind of classy, but still a little bit on the trashy side. Right. Yeah. There's just Happy this, medium. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's eclectic. Um, where's the best beach to hang out in Minnesota? I actually never been to a beach in Minnesota. What? I've actually only, my only uh, experience on the water was Taylor Falls and kayaking. Okay. So... If anyone knows and can recommend me, I'm down to LRS. If they can give me any suggestions, I'd appreciate it. I'm sure you're gonna get it. you're gonna get a couple. Uh, last question: You've been in for five full years now. It's a quarter of a full career. You're a young man. You've got some good goals. Uh, you've done so much. Where do you see yourself when you retire from the guard in 15 years? So where I see myself. If, hmm, that's a good question. Where I see myself at, at, in a retirement, I see myself probably going back to Texas and kind of living that crazy gun nut life <laughs> and just kind of just buy, get a bunch of land and kind of just being fun and shooting Hopefully we have ammo's back and it's cheap again. But just being out there, just shooting guns off in the land and riding around on a four wheeler. Yeah, chasing wild pigs. <laughs> Pretty much. I hear that's a big thing in Texas. It is awesome. <laughs> well, Jelani Olten, thanks so much for being my guest on Beneath Wing. This has been fun. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. And next time you need a sparring partner, uh, you can ask me, and I'll give you a list of recommendations that doesn't include myself. <laughs> All right. So I got you and I got Chief Wolf off, so that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. All right, my friend. Thanks again. And thanks to, uh, to those of you that uh, listened in on the podcast. Join me next time. My guest is going to be our new state command chief, Lisa Erickson. Tune in then.